kneel before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Halloween 2, released October 30th, 1981. It was written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, directed by Rick Rosenthal, and released by Universal Pictures. On October 27th of 1978, John Carpenter's Halloween hit theaters and was a runaway success. On a budget of less than a third of a million dollars, it brought in $70 million in the box office, and a sequel was inevitable. The first film tells the story of a young boy named Michael Myers, who killed his sister on Halloween night in 1963, and after years of incarceration in a sanitarium, breaks free and returns to his hometown of Haddonfield to wreak more havoc on the anniversary of his first killing. As he relentlessly pursues babysitter Lori Strode, he is in turn pursued by his psychiatrist, Dr. Loomis, and local sheriff Lee Brackett, and survives being shot repeatedly, only to disappear at the end of the night. So the writer of Star Wars is chasing down That's Michael right. Myers. Empire Strikes Back, specifically, right? Correct. Did she write the first one, or no? No, no. It was just Lucas by himself? Yeah. That's uh, a typical Carpenter thing, to just use the first <laughs> and last names of a screenwriter to play characters in his films. So that you think that was intentional? For sure, yeah. She's also wrote, like, The Big Sleep and mm -hmm. The Long Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Carpenter and Hill were, of course, brought back, but had no special interest in revisiting the story. Hill briefly considered directing the sequel, but she didn't want to be considered Carpenter's protege. When it became clear that a sequel would happen with or without their involvement, they agreed to at least write the script, and went about writing it with the intent to end the Michael Myers story so that the Halloween franchise could live on as an anthology series moving forward. It was originally set in a high-rise apartment building, but to close the time gap from the first film, it was later decided that it should take place minutes after the first film, and the scenes were rewritten to take place mostly in a hospital. I, the most, I like that choice. Yeah, I think, I think I think it works really well. Not a not a lot of sequels take a, take off just exactly where you left off. Right, and it lends itself to marathon viewing too. Yeah, because you're starting to get to this point where home videos are making it possible for you to sit down and watch these movies in a row. Right, and now, it's, it's a fun way to do it. Is is Michael Myers the first like? I don't, I don't, I'm sure that there's some film term for it now, but like, I always considered this like a, a tortoise in the hare sort of situation. Like he's just the slow yes. and steady pursuer. Yeah. Is he the first of that kind of killer? I'm sure he's not the first, but I think he's definitely the biggest. Yeah. I think this was something where, and, and also just slasher as a genre kind of was born with the Halloween franchise. And I'm sure that there were films before where people were killed with knives. But the point is that this is the one where... You know, he's just relentlessly pursuing people and killing them and they can't get away from him for some magical reason. Yeah, I just, I can't think of a film before this one where, the, I, I, and obviously the mask contributes to it, but there's just the, the, the always very slow and composed. Yeah. Like there's never, there's never urgency from the killer, which is, I, I feel like a unique thing for this franchise. Yeah, totally. There's a joke in the mockumentary film, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, where he plays like a Michael Myers-esque type killer character, 
but every time you're looking at him, he's going incredibly slow. But anytime you look away from him, he's just booking it full speed across <laughs> the yard at you. So every time you turn around, you're just like, how is he going so slow and still catching up? And yeah. he's like barely out of breath. This hospital, by the way, is also the most sparsely populated hospital of all time. It's right. like sub-Jurassic Park level population. Well, it's a small town. But it's like a four or five story hospital from the outside. Like Fair. It it's, seems crazy that it would they wouldn't even turn the lights on inside. It's it's oversized for the amount of staffing. Maybe that's the problem. They were like, <laughs> you know, somebody told us that a killer was going to murder thousands of people right. here. So we built this massive hospital and it just hasn't happened yet. Nick Castle was not available to reprise the role of Mike Myers and was replaced in the sequel with the much shorter Dick Warlock in the same mask prop from the first film. The rest of the major cast, Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Charles Cyphers, all reprised their roles from the first film. It seems so strange because when I was looking at the cast, it's like, oh, no Nick, no Nick Castle. But Lance Guest is like, who would who would star in a Nick Castle movie? Right, and, and that was part of why he wasn't available here is because Nick Castle was moving on to the directing phase of his career. Mm-hmm. And so he had landed a project and was not available to, to act at the time. The first film's art director, Tommy Lee Wallace, was the second approached to direct after Carpenter. When he declined, Carpenter recommended Rick Rosenthal, who accepted the job, but has since expressed some frustration in Carpenter's inability to relinquish creative control, which resulted in some re-edits that Rosenthal didn't appreciate, and even several pickup scenes directed by Carpenter himself. I also read that David Lynch was at least considered to direct, and I only believe that because of all the other weird shit that Lynch has been connected to. Like, in the early 80s, they just didn't know what to do with him. (laughs) Do you want to direct a Star Wars movie? And he's like, why are you asking me that? (laughs) Sure. You're going to be so mad when I turn it in. (laughs) Oh, man. I might really like Star Wars if David Lynch... Return of the Jedi with with David Lynch (laughs) directing it. It would have been amazing. It's also much bloodier and nakeder than the first installment, and with many more explosions than the first film, by which I mean any at all. (laughs) Yeah. Carpenter has admitted to being embarrassed by the film's much derided twist and has blamed it on a steady diet of beer during the screenwriting process because he did not have his heart in this film. And while it didn't make as much as the first film, it was still the highest grossing horror title of the year, despite being nowhere near as good as My Bloody Valentine. After the film's release, on December 7th, 1982, Richard Delmer Boyer murdered an elderly couple in El Monte, California, and blamed a hallucination brought on by a screening of Halloween 2 on drugs. Joe Bob Briggs even covered the murder case in a segment for his Monster Vision series. Shortly after it came out, this lunatic named Richard Delmer Boyer murdered an elderly couple in Fullerton, California, and the reason he gave was that he was on drugs, and the drugs caused him to flash back to a scene he saw in Halloween 2, and so he acted out the scene. So his defense was, Yes, I killed him. I didn't mean to do it, but I did it. So the jury listened to this whole story and sentenced him to death. But it became known in Fullerton as the Halloween 2 Murders. We open with a title card. This is Haddonfield, Illinois, October 31st, 1978, the same night as the previous installment. Actually, it might be just after midnight, so maybe this is November 1st. Uh, it's, we're getting not, close. it's not it's not after midnight yet okay. because they refer to the time later as to mm-hmm. when someone oh, okay. leaves the party and it wasn't until 10:30. Oh, okay. Um the song starts with Mr. Sandman by the Cordettes and the song comes back at the end and in later films. The camera cranes down out of a tree on the Doyle home as Lori rushes the children she was babysitting out the door to alert the police to an emergency. This is all footage from the first film getting reused to remind us where we left off. 
Lori tries to catch her breath, leaning against a doorframe as the shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers, leans forward in the background and stands to approach her. Donald Pleasance, as Dr. Loomis, happens to be passing by outside when he sees the kids run screaming from the house. Myers gets his hands around Lori's throat just as Loomis comes up the stairs to shoot at him. Myers stumbles into another room and Loomis shoots him six more times until he falls off the roof. Lori asks Loomis to confirm that he was the boogeyman and he does. Loomis steps out onto the balcony and sees that Myers is gone from the grass. He walks through the front door and dips his hand in the shape that Myers left to find his fingers soaked in blood. A confused neighbor comes outside and Loomis tells him to call the police and vaguely tell the sheriff that he shot him. That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't include any specific names. He just Who says, tell Did the I sheriff I shot him. And it's like, sheriff, this guy says he shot you. <laughs> should have worded that better wait hold on no i shot you that's what he said to say <laughs> i i shot him i saw a guy come out of a house and he wanted me to tell you that i shot him <laughs> hold on we'll have the police there right away to arrest you gentlemen he's still on the loose is this some kind of joke i've been trick-or-treated to death tonight you don't know what death is that's true because if he knew he he wouldn't have wouldn't said be that because he's alive. <laughs> the classic John Carpenter Halloween score jumps back in, and we finish out our opening credits beside a glowing jack-o'-lantern. As the credits wrap up, the jack-o'-lantern splits in two to reveal a skull inside. Now we cut to Michael Myers' POV moving around the neighborhood. It seems to avoid people and barking dogs, for now anyway. Myers notices Loomis flagging down the sheriff's police cruiser and shouting repeatedly that he shot Myers six times, even though we distinctly heard seven shots. Myers looks into a kitchen window at a woman making a sandwich for her husband. When she's distracted by a TV broadcast on the local discovery of dead teenagers, Myers enters the kitchen to steal the knife directly off her cutting board. When the woman tries to return to making the sandwich, she finds the knife gone and a few drops of blood in its place. She screams, but Myers has already left her home. I don't know why he didn't kill this woman. Yeah, it. he seems to be very choosy about yeah. who he kills and who he doesn't. Maybe he's like flipping a coin everywhere. Mm. But at this point, he's only ever killed teenagers or attempted to kill people who go after him. Maybe. That's possible. He has a code that he lives by. A neighbor girl, Alice, calls to check on her but gets no response. Mrs. Elrod? Mr. Elrod? Are you okay? When Alice goes back inside, the friend she was on the phone with refers her to the news on the radio about the bodies that have been discovered. Alice is terrified to learn something so grisly has happened so close and equally disturbed to learn they haven't caught the guy. And the voice on the phone here is actually the voice of Nancy Loomis, who played Annie in Halloween and reprises the role here, mm. but just as a dead body in one scene. Spoiler alert. She's startled to find her front door open and calls out to whoever might have opened it, but they don't respond. As she looks through the living room, Michael Myers appears beside her and stabs her in the throat, killing her instantly. We cut to another police car rolling up outside the Doyle home. We see a pair of EMTs carry Lori Strode to an ambulance. She pleads with them not to put her to sleep. Just as Lori is arriving at Haddonfield Memorial, a woman is leading her son who is bleeding from the mouth. She mentions that he bit into some Halloween candy that had a razor blade well, in it. Well, you can actually see the razor blade in yeah. one of the shots in his mouth, and I'm just like... 
why is it still there? Take mm. the thing out. No, you're supposed to leave it in. Yeah. Otherwise, can... it'll bleed everywhere. Well, you try to talk to him, and he tries to respond with yeah. a freaking razor blade in his mouth. <laughs> that reminds me of Clone High. Oh, God. Abe Lincoln eats the pigs on a blanket that have a razor blade in them. <laughs> why does my mouth keep getting cut open? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently the uh, the kid eating the candy with the razor blades in it was supposed to hint at what Carpenter had planned for an anthology series that mm. it was going to be a part of a different story that they would delve into the next time. But they didn't do that. So the third film has well, nothing to do with razor blades and candy. But I think the second you come back to Mike Myers, this this isn't an anthology. Right. You know, you that, that's that gone. Yeah, that it does seem like the ship gone. has sailed if you're already doing two in a row about mm-hmm. the same guy. Yeah. It's like if the second Pixar movie was Toy Story 2, which maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It was like a bug's life. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, maybe. The doctor attending to her, Dr. Mixter, seems to recognize Lori and administers a sedative right away against her wishes. See, that's the worst character name you could ever give anybody. And apparently it's not a reference to what he does in the film. It's literally the name of a friend of John Carpenter's again. Right, but... <laughs> don't give it to this guy. Don't get, it, It's such a hard name to say or understand. Yeah. Because it's just, it's like you're saying, are you saying mixture? No, like, it's mixter. Mixter. Like Never trickster. Yeah. We cut back to Loomis and Sheriff Brackett driving around as Loomis reloads his gun. Brackett thinks it's impossible that he shot Myers as many times as he thinks. You think I'm lying, Sheriff? I think you missed him. No man could take six slugs. I've told you this isn't a man. I But... This is where the movie has already kind of got me on board. Yeah. Is because the sheriff is 100% like, I totally believe you that there's a killer. We're, we're past all of this. No, you're crazy. There's no yeah, one yeah. out there. Kelly's like, no, there's absolutely a killer. We need to find him. Load your gun. I like, cause yeah. a, a no world sheriff. Psychiatrist, <laughs> load your gun next to me. That's, <laughs> that's totally reasonable. That, that, that's where we're at in yeah. the story. <laughs> Suddenly Loomis is shouting at Brackett to stop because he sees Michael Myers on the sidewalk behind a pack of trick-or-treaters. He tries to fire on Michael Myers, but Brackett <laughs> wrestles the gun away from him. Thank God. Thank I, God. I didn't save the guy a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think... In, uh, in fact, it probably would have been better had he shot him. <laughs> oh my Maybe. God. Yes. Maybe it would he have. He might have survived. Myers wanders away from them into the street where he is struck by a police cruiser doing 70 down a residential street on Halloween night. <laughs> before smashing Myers into a parked van where both cars explode in a ball of fire. Oh my god. What the hell is happening in this movie? This is the first moment that I was like, this is not Halloween 1978. This is crazy that this is happening. I I, I admittedly looked away from the screen oh no. for like a half a second. Like, I don't know, like... I, I, Things I, I, turned. Yeah, I was like, and I looked back because I heard an explosion. I was like, what happened? <laughs> and then the cop like literally falls out of the car to get away from the flames. He's like, the guy came out of nowhere. It's like, what are you fucking talking about? He was right in the middle of the street moving like one mile an hour. Why are you flying down the road on a Halloween night? There's kids out here. Yeah, there's kids everywhere walking across the streets. (laughs) I thought, because you know what I thought happened? Because I I immediately, you know, rewound it. I was like, oh, he thought it was Michael Myers. So he did it intentionally. He did it intentionally. Nope, just a coincidence. But also, you know, like there was nothing causing the car to skid out of control like no, there's no. there no reason behind why he did this no he just <laughs> fawn plowed into this guy and killed him 
The man playing the vehicular manslaughter cop is Dick Warlock, who we've discussed on the show as a regular stunt double of Kurt Russell's, and who also plays the part of Mike Myers in this installment of the Halloween franchise. But not in this instant of Mike Myers. <laughs> well, this is a Mike Myers. This is just a guy in a Mike Myers Spoiler costume. Spoiler alert. Which, okay. <laughs> yeah, the movie's over, by the way. <laughs> Did I mention that? <laughs> this is the last scene. Okay, so that leads me to my next question about... I think I understand. Uh, is, is this just a regular costume that a whole bunch of people potentially could be wearing this evening? Like Apparently, because he stole this mask the way it looks from a hardware store in the first film. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is just... So this is a mask that exists. This is an existing mask in this world that many, many, many people might have. And also Halloween. might pair with some coveralls. For no fucking reason. Yeah. Like, why do, Why are they wearing the same rest of the outfit? So This like, isn't a character from a show that everybody knows. But, this, but it's similar to something like in the Scream universe. Yeah. There is a Scream mask that is mm-hmm. just a Halloween costume that right. anybody could have. Yeah. But it, it's not like a Scream mask, I think, makes a little bit more sense than it's like, look, I'm custodian Kirk. <laughs> like, albino <laughs> Kirk. What the hell is this? Why, why do you look like that? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, because they always give it like a, a name. Right. Like the what the costume's yeah. supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the knockoff Wednesday was it midweek cutie? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I just I want that job. I want to have the job to name the knockoff Halloween costume. That would be a cool job. Another police car skids up and informs Sheriff Brackett that three bodies have been discovered across the street from the Doyle house, and one of them is his daughter Annie. Loomis jumps in the car with both officers as they race to the scene. They leave the terrible driver cop here to watch his victim burn away, pinched between two vehicles. It's just like, oh, we better go. Something important's happening over there. And it's like, so I'll just watch this guy die then? (laughs) Should I phone someone? Or I'm going to say you guys did this, okay? (laughs) Are we going to try to put it out? Yeah, Brackett's real upset. He crashed into this kid and then he ran off. Back at the hospital, Jimmy, one of the EMTs who brought Lori in, goes to check on her and disturbingly touches her while she sleeps. She smiles up at him, and he offers to bring her a Coke, but he never brings it. (laughs) Dick. The other EMT, Bud, drags him out of the room on another call. We cut to the house where Annie was murdered, and it's swarmed with reporters and police. Sheriff Brackett arrives just as Bud and Jimmy are rolling Annie down the porch in a gurney. He pulls back the blanket covering her to identify his daughter and brushes her eyes closed. I, uh, have to, uh... Go and tell my wife before somebody else does. The cops are still angry with Loomis for releasing Michael, which he repeatedly explains he did not do and advised against. He also reminds them that if the flaming man in the mask isn't the real Michael Myers, then more children will die tonight. You're talking about him like he's some kind of animal. He was my... Would you keep him back? He was my patient for 15 years. It became an obsession with me until I realized that there was nothing within him, neither conscience nor reason, that wasn't even remotely human. An hour ago, I stood up and and fired six shots into him. He just got up and walked away. I am talking about the real possibility that he is still out there. He's really on about those six shots. He really wants everyone to know he shot him six times and he nailed him with every one of those shots. Yeah, he says he shot him in the heart. And that he's definitely dead. Loomis orders a dentist to meet with them at the coroner's office to try and identify the body right away. 
Across town, we see two girls, Karen and Darcy, leaving a party. Karen is a nurse at Haddonville Memorial and is refusing to give Darcy a ride because it will take an extra five minutes. She's already going to be late for her shift at the hospital. Eventually, she gives in when Darcy reminds her that she promised. And that's the last we see of Darcy in the movie, who was one of our main characters in the Boogans. It's just weird that we don't follow up with that character at all. After they pull away, we see a kid in a sort of cowboy outfit carrying a boombox reporting the news of the murders. He bumps into Michael Myers in the parking lot, and we get an abrasive sting on the soundtrack. The kid with the boombox here is actually Lance Warlock, son of Dick Warlock, so he's actually crashing into his own dad in costume here. The radio broadcast mentions Laurie Strode as being held at Haddonfield Memorial, and so Myers begins to walk straight there. He literally walks around a corner past a sign that says, <laughs> Haddonfield Memorial, that way. Because she had to drop off Darcy at home, Karen is getting to the hospital at the same time Myers does. Bud is smoking a joint in the hospital kitchen and fantasizing about ordering a pizza instead of just doing it. A security guard reads the newspaper and listens to the bombastic score of Night of the Living Dead, because it was public domain at the time, coming from his office television, while he ignores the actual security monitors on which we can see Michael Myers crossing the hospital yard toward the building. Karen pops into the kitchen to flirt a bit with Bud, and after she leaves, he sings an improvised rendition of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, come sit on my face. Don't make me cry, I need your pie. Jimmy gets frustrated with Bud's sense of humor because he can't help thinking about if his brother had been a victim of this killer. Bud warns him not to get too involved with their patient, Lori Strode, but Jimmy marches off to her room anyway. As he moves down the hall, we see a door closing slowly to imply Myers is behind it. We move into Myers' POV stalking the halls of the hospital. He ducks into a nursery as Karen walks by in uniform. Mrs. Alves shows up and chastises Karen for arriving 15 minutes late. In Lori's room, Jimmy tells her that he wishes the sanitarium had been more careful not to allow Michael's escape. This is the first she's hearing that the man who tried to kill her was THE Michael Myers. In the Myers house? little kid who killed his sister? Yeah. But he's in a hospital somewhere. He escaped last night. How do you know? It's all over the radio. Television, too. It's on right now. Mrs. Alves pops into the room and kicks Jimmy out again. She tries to dial out from the phone in the room, but the line seems disconnected. After she leaves, Lori verifies the phones are out herself. So is the implication that Michael Myers yes. went into the hospital, went down into the basement, into the phone room, yeah, and cut the, line. cut the lines? And I think that she realizes that right away. Because when she's holding the phone to her head, and she just been saying, like, why me? Why is this guy coming after me? That she's like, wait a minute. These phones didn't just randomly cut out. This guy is still after me. And I bet he did this. Like, I think that's the first suspicion that she gets that he's on his way here. But Michael Myers went into the sanatorium as a kid, right? Right. So how does he suddenly have a knowledge of, like, floor plans and where telephone rooms might be? And Well, he's not a man. Uh, there you go. He's phone sensitive. Another nurse, Janet, is sent to mention the phone problem to their security guard, Mr. Garrett. Like, he is for some reason qualified to fix it. <laughs> He's a security guard. He has a flashlight. You think he's going to fix your phone? Outside, we see the man wave a flashlight at some power lines for a while, and then a bunch of dumpsters. He opens one of them, and a cat leaps out and tackles him to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> like, fully knocks him over completely. 
From outside, he notices a busted master lock on a door through which Michael Myers may have gained access to the building. He tries to radio Nurse Janet that someone has broken into the storeroom, but the signal isn't coming through very well. He suggests calling the sheriff, but again, the phones don't work. Mm -hmm. That's what you were investigating, so that's not going to happen. He finds another broken lock on a cabinet, and when he opens it, a pile of boxes avalanche down on him. Then he finds another one, <laughs> really stretching for time here, nothing interesting inside, and when he closes the cabinet, he reveals Michael Myers standing in front of him. Myers buries a hammer claw into the man's head. Do you recall the last time we saw a killer bury a hammer claw into the skull of a man in uniform? Student bodies? No. No, further no. back. But still this year. Friday the 13th, part two, mm. while he's investigating the house in the woods. He gets a hammer in the skull. Unable to reach the man, Janet abandons her post and returns to the floor. At the coroner's office, the body of the man pinned between two cars is revealed, burnt to a crisp. He looks exactly like the perfect s'more to me. Like, that's <laughs> the way I like them. <laughs> just a, just Charred skin. black all the way yeah. around, but bright white teeth. <laughs> what the fuck? Where are you getting your marshmallows? The man inspecting the body says that the lack of fillings indicates to us that the boy is likely 17 or 18. Michael Myers is 21. I'm 39 and I don't have any fillings. Is that all you're going by? Well, to be fair, like, dental identification of bodies is very iffy. Yeah. It's not well, super reliable. Well, I mean, I'm sure that the sanatorium has dental records. Yeah. But it would take too long to get them. Yeah. So they're trying to make a, like, a cursory glance of, like, how will if because if it was like a 12 year old kid who was just like really tall yeah like you would just know but it does seem like it shouldn't take that long to check these teeth against michael myers teeth which are for sure 100 percent mm. on record yeah like i bet like loomis probably has a bite somewhere on him that he can just <laughs> hold up to these teeth and yeah be like no it's not him but what i've learned here is in order to preserve my youth, I need to die by fire because people will think I'm much younger than I am for not mm. having any fillings. Oh, my God. This is a baby. This is a baby you guys set on fire. <laughs> so neither of you guys have fillings? Nope. Wow. That's crazy. Maybe I just... Dentists have... hate this one trick. Yeah, don't Stop going go to the <laughs> dentist. <laughs> no. I go, to, I go to the dentist and I don't have fillings. I stopped going he the day they told go, me I needed fillings. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I need what? Bye. <laughs> Every, every tooth you say. <laughs> they decide to resume their manhunt full force. An angry crowd has gathered around the Myers house and are just tossing rocks through the windows. But local police warn them away from the property because he's not here. This is just yeah. a house, guys. It, but no one lives there, right? I mean, this is Right. This and is there's really also a cop upstairs. But the house is empty because uh, in the first film, Mr. Strode is actually a real estate guy and he's trying right. to sell this house. So it is empty at the moment. They continue throwing rocks anyway like a bunch of lunatics. Insanely, no one thinks they should burn the place down. I feel like that would have been, you know, a go-to move mm -hmm. for these people. But again, I, I, I'm like totally like on board with like the mob mentality. Yeah. Like, man, everyone, everyone is just like, yeah, Michael Myers is real and he's doing this and we need to yeah. we And if we can make him. him mad by breaking a window in his childhood home, let's go throw rocks at it. Loomis arrives with acting Sheriff Hunt who orders the crowd to disperse. He tells Loomis that it used to be the only gunshots you'd hear in town were to start a track meet. But now it's to start a track meet and a psychiatrist shooting at his patient. <laughs> or random children in the street yeah. if you let him. <laughs> Loomis is the only person shooting a gun so far. 
while they have this conversation, Hunt is smoking a cigarette and he hands a cigarette to Loomis and Loomis doesn't smoke. So he just puts it in his pocket <laughs> and then he hands the lighter to Loomis to light his own cigarette. And because he doesn't have the cigarette anymore, he just puts the lighter in his pocket. <laughs> That's such a great setup for something later. Like, yeah. it's like, how do we, how do we get him to have a lighter in this scene? It's like, you could just make him a smoker. Every other character in the yeah. movie is a smoker. <laughs> Why do you have to set that up? Just <laughs> People just have lighters. <laughs> yeah. This is 1981. No, it's not. It's 78. Even more people then. Loomis explains that the staff underestimated Michael because he spent 15 years in near complete silence. He was an ideal patient for so long that they forgot what he was capable of. They're interrupted by a couple of boys who were worried about their missing friend Bennett Tramer. He was real drunk. How old is he? 17. He had this stupid mask on. What kind of narc friends are these, putting Bennett on blast to the cops for underage drinking? Are they really worried about him or do they just hate him? Like, I feel like I would wait a day before I bother the police. Like, my friend is missing. He was really drunk, and he's not allowed to be drunk yet. We last saw him pinned between two cars. Yeah. <laughs> I lost sight of him. I looked down for a second. He was standing in the middle of the street, and then I saw this big explosion. Anyway, one of these two kids reporting their friend for underage drinking is actually Billy Warlock, another of Dick Warlock's children. <laughs> so it seems it seems like the name Dick Warlock is uh, yeah. is quite true. Yep, it turns out he is a Dick Warlock. <laughs> Bennett Tramer is a name that we first hear in the first film because Laurie has a crush on the boy, but unfortunately one of these cops also has a crush of sorts on the boy Aww. because he smashed him into a van. <laughs> So Lori was almost killed by a masked maniac and her crush was demolished by the police in unrelated incidents within hours of each other. Back at the hospital, Karen is paged to a room and when she gets there, she's dragged into bed by Bud, who was hiding under the blankets. Are there like other patients in this hospital that we don't see? No. Then why is she reporting to what should be an empty room when she gets paged if she doesn't expect that it's Bud in here? Because she seems surprised by it and she's annoyed at first, but then eventually joins him in the bed. He invites her to the therapy room down the hall, and she agrees to join him as long as they leave the door open so that she can hear if any babies start to cry. Because then I start lactating. What? No, I mean I have to go help them, because I'm a nurse. We see Lori sleep- Sue, <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be a wet nurse. Because <laughs> <laughs> the hot tub? Or yeah, sexy man? Yeah, we see Lori sleeping for a moment, and we cut into the dreams she's having, which seem to be blurry flashbacks. I told you, I'm not your mother. <laughs> is, is that how any adoptive parent would ever say that to their child? I feel like that's, it seems weirdly harsh. She sees blood droplets pooling on a black surface, and then a vision of young Lori visiting a boy in a sanitarium. Bud and Karen strip fully nude to partake in the hospital's therapy spa and begin making out. Karen complains repeatedly that the water is getting too hot, and she sends Bud to turn the temperature down. But while he's in the room with the controls, he's attacked by Michael Myers. She doesn't notice his silhouette being strangled behind her. Myers enters the room and puts a hand on her shoulder, and she thinks it's Bud at first. She even nibbles on his fingers for a minute before finally realizing it's not him. What do you think these fingers taste like? <laughs> you think that's a statement on Bud? <laughs> that his fingers taste indistinguishable from Michael Myers? Like he was just in a hot tub and his fingers still taste like Michael Myers' fingers? <laughs> oh. Dry Michael Myers' fingers? No. They should be covered in no, blood. He, no, he, he, he moisturizes. <laughs> with he blood. moisturizes? Oh, okay, there you go. Also, why does this therapy tub 
have a scalding setting? Yeah. I, <laughs> Why is that even an option? Well, I mean, so they can flash fry a turkey. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, the only thing I could think of would be for cleaning or sterilizing it. But it's so weird to see that the gauge has scalding as yeah. a setting. Like, it's like, oh, good, we sterilized the tub, and there's just a skeleton in it. Well, because to me, like, like scalding is is just like it's just an adjective of like really hot water. Like, yeah, I th- I think the point is to be like, if it gets to this point, you're gonna hurt the patients that are right. In. But because yeah. like like it's a I just picture like after scalding, it's like you know like flesh melt, like it just yeah. like boiling. Like the, the adjectives like get higher and higher. <laughs> Plasma, ludicrous speed. <laughs> <laughs> When she sees the mask, she begins to scream, and Michael submerges her face in the now scalding water. Each time he pulls her out of the water, the skin of her face is peeling more and more. Because he is not human, the water temperature doesn't seem to affect Meyer's hands as they go underwater repeatedly with her. Police walk through a classroom with Dr. Loomis and follow a series of clues. A broken window, blood spatters, and a knife stabbed into a child's drawing. Specifically, the blade is stabbed through a little girl in a Cran family portrait sister so is this from the first movie what the the, the school because i don't so- remember the school scene i i thought this came completely out of nowhere to me. okay because because yeah to me it did too so that's what i was like it's been a while since i've w- watched the first one yeah they find the word sam hayne written on the chalkboard in blood it's a celtic word sam hayne it means the lord of the dead the end of summer the festival of Samhain, October 31st. Dr. Loomis? Yes. That's pretty late summer. <laughs> Isn't that blatantly fall? I mean, not anymore, but they didn't know that in 78. They hadn't invented the seasons yet? <laughs> no, global warming wasn't the thing yet. Oh, okay. Marion Chambers enters the classroom and asks to speak with Dr. Loomis privately in the hall. She informs him that he's been ordered back to Smith's Grove, the sanitarium. Evidently, the governor has made this order himself. He suggests that she lie that she couldn't find him because he's not going anywhere. On another hospital monitor, we see Michael Myers move down a hall and then cut into Lori's room again, where Jimmy sneaks in to talk some more. He promises to keep her safe, and she doesn't respond. She just stares blankly ahead. He checks her eyes, and he's worried that she's overdosing on whatever meds they gave her. He rushes outside to grab a nurse, and we cut to Janet running down the hall to Dr. Mixter's office to tell him that Lori has had a bad reaction to the meds. Mixter is turned around, facing backwards at his desk, looking at his fish tank, and when she finally spins the chair, she notices he has a syringe stabbed into his eye. So this is like the first kill that's, like... Not a teenager or someone chasing him? Well, yeah, it's just like it, it totally. I mean, I guess like the sc- the, the couple in the bathtub was the also security like, guard. Well, the security guard was looking for him, was was actively sure. looking and he may have just not gotten away in time. But it seems like the the, the couple in the hot tub, which is what I'm calling it in, yeah. the, in the therapy room and Dr. Mixter is just, these are just people who happen to be around. Yeah. I think he wanted someone to chew on his fingers, and that's why he went and bothered the people in the hot tub, and then he just killed them so they wouldn't tell people about it because he was embarrassed. I don't want people to know I like my fingers getting chewed on. But beheading people, that's cool. It's the third syringe in the eye we've seen this year. Do you guys recall the previous two? Well, one was dead and buried. Correct. We've had one since then, actually. Mm -hmm. We've had one since then. Mm -hmm. It's not directly in the middle of the eye, though. It's kind of like in the tear duct part of a procedure that they do to people Mm -hmm. to transform them oh um 
It's one of those titles that you're not going to come I'm up with. I'm not going to come up with the title for this movie. It was um it was part it was part of a planned trilogy, three films that would all start with the same word. The second one was called Strange Invaders. Oh. If that helps. See, even if I give you one of the two strange words. Strange something. Strange something. Mm. Um Strange events, stranger things. <laughs> it kind of sounds like invaders. I honestly cannot come up with the name of this movie. Strange behavior. Behavior. Janet backs into the shadows of the office terrified when she is grabbed by Michael Myers, who stabs another syringe into her temple and then injects a bunch of air into her brain and then drops her on the floor. Jimmy is impatient, waiting for Dr. Mixter to return, and runs to find Mrs. Alves. Nurse Jill, the last surviving nurse, is paged to a room, and we are suddenly in Myers' POV, as he enters Lori's room and stabs a scalpel into her several times before realizing that she has wrapped her blanket around pillows in her bed. Yeah, she did the friggin' Lord of the Rings Aragorn. Yeah. Even from the sound it makes, though, he should have known he wasn't stabbing a person. I mean, aren't you kind of an expert at this? And you couldn't tell that you were just pushing a pillow down onto a bed? Lori limps along through a hospital with a bandaged ankle. She hides in an office and cradles another phone that predictably also doesn't work, and then she closes the door and curls up into the fetal position before passing out again. Dr. Loomis is escorted to Marion Chambers' car so that it can be taken away to Smith's Grove, as the governor has requested, and the police promise to find Myers but have no idea where to look. I don't know if taken away is, like, the the term I would use, but... What do you mean? Well, like, it says, like, they're taking me away. Like, it's like, no, he's, like, being escorted escorted. yeah he seems upset about it he yeah. wants to keep chasing michael myers nurse jill searches the halls for mr garrett and is suddenly grabbed on the shoulder by jimmy they conclude that everyone is missing he says it's important that they find Lori, and he tells her to drive to the sheriff's station if she can't locate anyone i don't recall what happened to mrs alves though but she is listed among the names of the missing people oh here we go Jimmy finds Alves in one of the surgery rooms, hooked up to an open IV, and the floor is completely coated in her blood, so much that Jimmy slips in it and knocks himself out on the floor. We see Nurse Jill leave the hospital and dash to her car. Of course, the engine gives her trouble, and when she steps out of it, she finds all her tires slashed, and also all the tires of all the cars in the lot. If this were me, I wouldn't just go back into the hospital, Mm -hmm. because I would assume that that's why they did this to the cars. I would just fucking leave and hitch a ride to the sheriff's station. Michael Myers literally just walked here from around the corner. Also, fun fact, if all the tires on your car are flat and it's an emergency, you can still drive. Well, but her car wasn't starting. Her car wasn't starting, but she didn't try every car in this lot. But she doesn't have the keys to those cars. You don't need the keys. But also, nobody's not going to stop for Nurse Jill. She's like the cutest one. If she goes out of the road and goes like this, she's got a ride. Back inside the hospital, Jill is excited to find Lori in the halls, and as she tries to get her attention, Michael Myers steps out from behind the nurse and buries a scalpel in her spine, lifting her several feet off the ground. Her shoes fall off her feet, and he drops her to the floor dead. Lori makes a run for it and tries to block the hall behind her with gurneys and such to slow the shape down. Lori crawls around the boiler room looking for a way out and bumps into the hanging corpse of Mr. Garrett. As Myers approaches her, she manages to climb some shelving and dive out a window into the neighboring storeroom. I don't know why these two rooms would be connected by a window this way. Right. Seems like a window to the outside, probably. She manages to escape into an elevator and out of the hospital before Myers can get to her. But in that... In the, I don't like the fact that in this elevator, like, she's, you know, there's the suspenseful moment where she's trying to get it to show up, and he's very slowly walking towards her. Um, 
And then it finally shows up and she gets in and she's doing the thing where she's like, closed door, closed door, closed and door. And he gets his hand in the door. And he gets his hand in the door. And it continues to close. Yeah. And like literally every elevator, mm-hmm. unless in 81 this wasn't true or 78 or whatever, it yeah. wasn't true. Elevators open back up if you stick your hand in it. Yeah. Well, And I think it would be even more true at a hospital. Yeah. If anywhere is going to have that feature, it's going to be a hospital. Because if it can't just like pinch off air hoses and stuff, it's got mm-hmm. to be super sensitive here. She hides in a car in the parking lot and keeps her eyes on the hospital entrance. On the way back to the sanitarium, Marion tries to give Dr. Loomis some important information, but he interrupts her to rant about the history of Sam Hain like that matters. <laughs> she finally tells Loomis that a new file on Myers has been unsealed by order of the governor. That girl, that Strode girl, that's Michael Myers' sister. She was born two years before he was committed. Two years after, his parents died and she was adopted by the Strodes. The wording here bothered me. I feel like I should have said two years later his yeah. parents died. Because it makes it sound like she was born two years after her parents died? <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? How'd you get a baby after out of a two-year dead corpse? Legally dead. <laughs> two years after, his parents died and she was adopted by the Strodes. They requested that the records be sealed in order to protect the family. She just don't see what he's doing here in Haddonfield. He killed one sister 15 years ago. Now he's trying to kill the other. Loomis orders the marshal driving them to take them to Haddonfield Memorial instead of the sanitarium. And at first, the man refuses. Loomis puts a gun to the man's neck and then turns the gun to fire a warning shot through the passenger side window before the man flips a Yui and races to the hospital. What does you fellas usually do? Fire a warning shot, right? Yeah, his line here is great. It's like, what is it that you do? A warning shot? And just fires. The, it, it, but it reminded me of uh, Snatch when they got the replica gun in the yeah, car. Yeah. He fires it and all the windows just blow out. <laughs> because your gun has replica stamped down the side of it. And my gun has Desert Eagle .50. Lori is still hiding in the car in the parking lot when Jimmy suddenly gets to her. He seems dazed and he can't get it started and eventually passes out at the wheel with his head on the car horn. And it took me a while to realize that he's still just dazed from hitting his head in the blood. Right, like right. He never actually saw Michael Myers. No. He, he slipped in some blood and now he's just concussed. Yeah. Lori tries and fails to get Jimmy's car started and then opens the door and falls out into the parking lot. As she crawls back toward the hospital doors, she watches Loomis, Marion, and the marshal enter, but she can't summon a voice to scream for their help until the doors have closed. She suddenly notices Michael is behind her and pounds on the doors for someone to let her in. They open the door for her and lock it behind her, but Myers walks right through the glass like it's tissue paper. Loomis unloads five rounds into the killer, and Myers collapses to the ground. That's 11 now. I'm up to 11. (laughs) Yes. Well, 12 if you count all seven from earlier, but I lied about them and said it was only six. The marshal insists that Myers is dead, but Loomis says he's still breathing. Loomis tells Marion to get on the marshal's radio in the car outside to call for help. The marshal gets needlessly close to the killer on the floor. Get away from him! But he stopped breathing! No! The killer springs to life and slits the marshal's throat. Loomis and Lori retreat down the hall, away from the approaching Myers. Marion gets through to the sheriff's station and orders backup to deal with Michael Myers. So basically, like, the day is saved already, technically. Yeah. Unless it's like when the Coast Guard showed up to save the day in the island. It's like, that didn't work out so well. Loomis and Lori hide in an operating room, and Loomis tries to give her one of his guns. I don't know why. Guns clearly don't work on this character. 
Loomis tries to shoot Myers as he breaks through the door, but his gun is empty and Myers stabs him in the chest with a scalpel. Myers approaches Lori slowly, with the scalpel raised, and she fires two shots into his head with Loomis's extra gun, one through each eye. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not just not just randomly in yeah. his head. It's so precise that there are no bullet holes in this mask. Right. Just through the eye holes. And you can't really even see the bullet holes in the eyes in the eye holes. It's just blood. Yeah, just blood pouring out of each of the eye holes of the mask as Myers swings his scalpel blindly. Because he can't see them, they can both leave the room right now very easily with no danger, but instead, Lori stays sitting on the ground and Loomis starts pumping the room full of ether. <laughs> He's just like, if I'm gonna go out, I'm going out stoned. <laughs> Lori follows his lead while the disoriented Myers continues swiping the scalpel around. Now, is he more disoriented because they're filling the room with the gas? I think or? it's a combination. Okay. Yeah. But, but they yeah. should be pretty disoriented. Was, yeah, and it doesn't exactly. look like they're making too much of an effort to hold their breath here. Because this guy is inhuman uh, yeah. from from the lack of reaction he's had to everything else you know that's yeah. happened to him. Why? Like, I feel like they would pass out well before he Right. Would pass I feel out like you could drop Myers on an anchor to the bottom of the ocean and he would just sit down there and wait. Yeah. Or slowly crawl with the anchor. Yeah, just carry it around. <laughs> Sorry, that uh, that's one of my favorite puzzles in the original Secret of the oh, Island. Yeah, where it's like you need to grab something as I grab the anchor. Yeah, like you're, they tie you to an anchor and they drop you to the water, and so you're you're at the bottom of the ocean, but there's all these sharp objects that are just out of reach. But you just pick up the anchor and carry it with you, and then you get escape that way. Yeah, it's like that's the greatest puzzle. Yeah. That's like one of the first puzzles of the game, right? It's pre- It comes like midway. Okay. After you've bolstered the fact that you can hold your breath for 10 minutes. Yeah. And you have 10 minutes to solve the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Loomis orders Lori out of the room finally, and instead of following her out, Loomis ignites the lighter he stole from Sheriff Hunt to explode the room they're both in. Marion hears the explosion from outside and races in to collect Lori. Myers, fully engulfed in flames, walks out of the explosion down the hall but finally collapses. Sometime later, the hospital parking lot is crowded with police and fire trucks. Lori is rolled across the parking lot in a wheelchair and hounded by reporters. They help her climb into an ambulance, and I really wanted it to just do a loop and drop her off here at the hospital. This <laughs> <laughs> so like, hey, here we are, record time. This is the closest to a hospital we've ever picked anybody up. That'll be $2,000. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, the ambulance disappears into the fog. Do you remember the last time fog? the fog yeah (laughs) (laughs) we've probably had fog since then that was like our sixth episode but we've had other fogs we see laurie in the back of the ambulance staring straight ahead as the cordettes mr sandman begins to play again and we see her flash back to the flaming mask on the hospital floor the end now i'm going to talk you through all of the sequels i didn't watch all of them i watched everything up to halfway through halloween kills and i basically know how that and halloween ends go from working on them but here's the story listen up here's a story about a little guy who lived in a blue house and all day and all night and everything he says is just blue like him inside and outside blue his house and a blue rear window and a blue corvette and everything is blue to him and himself and everybody around i'm blue and da ba dee da ba da Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Next season comes out right away next year. Uh, A cop tries to untangle a conspiracy involving the Silver Shamrock Novelty Shop selling a very popular set of Halloween masks. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers. This is the first story where they just switched over to a new thing. Everybody hated it so much that Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. (laughs) 
Turns out this OR explosion put Myers in a 10-year coma. He wakes up when he happens to overhear that Laurie had a daughter before dying in a car accident, so he comes after his niece. Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Myers awakens from the latest obvious death to continue tracking down his niece at a mental health clinic. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. The most disappointing installment of the original series. It's technically the sixth film, but they stopped numbering them at this point. So Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, and it pins Myers' powers and legacy to an underground cult who rely on the sacrifice of an entire family bloodline to save the world. This was Paul Rudd's second feature film, and Pleasance's last film, but it's fun that they got a couple scenes together here. Hold on. Yeah. What? It's the Thorn Cult, they're called. They have thorn tattoos, and they wear silly robes like they're a bunch okay. of stonecutter losers. Okay, and they get power by killing an entire bloodline, but isn't Michael Myers part of that bloodline? I think he has to kill his whole family, and then they kill him. And then him. they kill him? Yeah. But he's unkillable, it seems. Is maybe, he unkillable maybe they're because they're him. protecting him? It, or is it Highlander rules? Like, he's getting stronger with yeah. each kill? Is he going to quicken at the end of it? <laughs> if he kills all of them, will he explode in a lightning ball? Rudd here is playing Tommy Doyle, the boy that Laurie was babysitting in the first film. And the film is dedicated to Pleasance's memory. Halloween H2O, 20 years later. This installment resets the series to just after the second film. In the absence of Pleasance to cast, they had to bring back Jamie Lee Curtis. She's the headmistress of a private school working under a new name. Her son is played by Josh Hartnett, and he doesn't take the threat seriously, so Laurie has to protect him. It ends with Laurie literally chopping off Michael Myers' head with an axe. And it's just like, finally, someone did the thing that I wish they were doing the whole time. Mm -hmm. Halloween Resurrection starts by explaining that she actually decapitated the wrong man. <laughs> unable to speak from behind the mask due to a crushed larynx. It was like a paramedic that he put in the mask, and then she chopped his head okay. off. Lori is thrown off the roof of a sanitarium and killed in the cold open of the film. Wow. And the rest of the movie is about a reality show shooting in the Myers house as Myers picks off the contestants one by one. It's the fucking dumbest fucking wow. Halloween movie. So I have seen this one now. Yeah. Now that I now that you've ex I thought the the reality show one was H2O. H2O. Okay. Yeah, Resurrection is the fucking worst. And it's directed by the same guy that did this one. This is, is the Halloween 2 director came back for it. Uh, then we have the Rob Zombie movies, Halloween and Halloween 2, which are essentially remakes of the first two films, but just with more cursing. That's literally the only difference. Like there's, there's more punch sounds and stab sounds, and there's just a lot of cursing. Um, and that's basically how he improved it. Uh, it stars Malcolm McDowell as Loomis and Brad Dorif as Sheriff Brackett. Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends is the latest trilogy from David Gordon Green, and it resets the franchise back to the end of the first film, so it's ignoring the events of Halloween 2, 1981. Laurie's relationship with her daughter and granddaughter are strained by her obsession with the inevitable return of Michael Myers. Turns out Laurie was right. I was kind of hoping the trilogy would be about Laurie thinking that she had killed him once and for all over and over again, only for it to turn out that she was actually the killer now, and she's hallucinating innocent people as Myers for the entire trilogy. Hmm. but that's not what happened it's just standard halloween movies so in those so in that reset yeah is it still canon that she's related to him no because that gets revealed in the second film mm -hmm. so this comes right after the first one and there's even a line early in the film where laurie's granddaughter is walking with two of her friends to school and one of them says oh i heard like the girl was his sister or something like that and she's like no that's just something that people made up that was that was like a, a rumor that got spread around but it wasn't true hmm. 
yeah but uh that's all i have for halloween 2 um i think it's still a thumbs up for me and i probably shouldn't say this but i think i prefer it to the first halloween movie just because it's oh. got crazier stuff in it the first movie is pretty slow it, it is a little slow i'm not gonna go so far as to say it's better but actually so i haven't seen this in a very long time it is a lot better than i remember it oh okay but that might also be due to the fact that you've made me watch a lot of really shitty movies from yeah the 80s. I'm trying to put things in perspective so it, yeah in perspective this one's pretty good yeah it's not bad i don't think it's as good as the first one but where do you put it against my bloody valentine i actually don't like that one as much as you like really that one. okay so i will put these both halloween movies above my bloody valentine all right i won't even ask you Richard, because your your ranking of slashers is so confusing well i i, ha- I have to say i had a good time with this one yeah it's fun it it's it like it won me over with the car explosion the car explosion <laughs> and some innocent bystander just being taken i was like oh okay anything goes in this movie yeah. cops are just murdering children and we don't we don't come back to it like it was a crime that happened yeah well it's and, just like a, oh wrong guy and cops just condoning civilians carrying weapons right yeah exactly i mean like he, he stopped he stopped him from shooting a person without being sure yeah. but he's loading a gun on the car he's not saying i don't want you carrying that or brandishing yeah. that he's like no i get it you're we're all on this i also like at the end when they're in the hospital and and loomis tells the woman oh go use your the radio in the marshal's car and he's like hey she's not qualified to use that and it's like i'm a psychiatrist waving a revolver around in a yeah. hospital like who cares about qualifications anymore you she can't use a car radio but i can use a gun see i i think i would have made this movie better because i so much of it takes place in the hospital and i get that uh but i think it would have been a much more entertaining movie if it was just like the townspeople going crazy trying to find michael myers and mistaking all these and like going getting out of hand yeah like 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 going after each other or or inadvertently shooting at people in the dark like they do more of that in in other versions of this story there's there's scenes with like brigades that go out at night that are like we're gonna go kill this michael myers guy and they accidentally shoot other townspeople yeah exactly i think like like it's like monsters on maple street it's like we were the monsters the whole time uh it's like the monster club oh i had no idea you humans were so evil uh but because because i liked that that everyone is aware of it right yeah so many of these slasher movies they don't waste a, time trying to convince anybody that michael myers exists. yeah, yeah. that, that yeah. that's always the plot is like there's a killer out there oh it's just your imagination that is another nice thing about the uh the david gordon green trilogy is that by about halfway through the first movie everybody knows michael myers is back and it's yeah. not a question anymore so you get two full movies after that that all take place basically back to back to back of people knowing michael myers is going crazy in town mm-hmm. and things are getting more and more insane and uh what's his name uh the dead zone tv show guy what's uh, that uh anthony michael hall anthony michael hall plays the tommy doyle character okay. in the sequel trilogy and uh because he kind of looks like paul rudd right no not at all <laughs> <laughs> but uh that's not canon anymore so it doesn't matter um but yeah he's he's leading this whole group that's like trying to attack the hospital where they think michael myers mm-hmm. is and or where he's trying to get to laurie strode again um but yeah it's good stuff yeah um and just like donald pleasance is always like, he's, he's he great. gets so much to do here i mm-hmm. feel like he got uh, he got to have a lot more fun on this set than he did on the first yeah movie. and going out like a freaking champ yeah 
like blowing himself up yeah, needlessly, like, but still. Well, I, I think he, he felt a certain amount of responsibility and, and I think he wanted to see it done. Yeah. But like, I feel like I would just be so frustrated. It's like, I told you guys this was going to happen for 15 years and then you let it happen. And now everyone's blaming me for it. Guess I'll blow up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my career is over. Yeah. Yeah. No one's going to listen to what I'm saying under my breath every time they accuse me of releasing Michael Myers. But I do like how he never lets anybody just get away with saying it. Yeah. Like anytime someone's like, you let him out. And he's like, no, I didn't. I, I, said, he, I said he should be locked up. He should be locked up in, uh, in a sanitarium. I, that's what I said. But thumbs up for sure. Oh, yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah, it's a thumbs up for me. A surprising thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That um, is a surprising A refreshing. And then where is this going uh, letterboxed for you guys? Okay. So I have a confession to make here. Um, I, <laughs> I put it below my bloody valentine on my list. <laughs> yeah, you did. And by quite a bit. Um, but I stand by its placement relative to majority of the movies. The yeah, it's of- impossible for the lists to be rigid and perfect. It's, it's really hard to put these things, uh, you know, you, you screw one up by like one or two and then you throw a bunch of things in between it. And then you're yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. well, now suddenly there's 20 movies between these ones that I think are fairly similar. Um, I currently have it at number 40. Um, it is below Dead and Buried and above underground aces and right now technically my bloody valentine is still at 21 so all right yeah. i also have mine at number 40 do you really yeah uh it's uh which puts it below watcher in the woods uh but above chariots of fire okay i have it at 38 um which puts it right between night riders and dragon slayer both of which i really liked i think the closest we've all been in a while yeah Yeah. especially well especially on a horror title yeah Yeah. sure our director here like i said was rick rosenthal this was his directorial debut later he helms bad boys 1983 which is not the one you're thinking of he also did a witches of eastwick tv movie in 92 he directed the birds too which we discussed a bit in our review of the birds and more recently a lot of tv directing buffy true calling veronica mars smallville and the 90210 reboot but he also comes back to the series like i said to direct halloween resurrection the writer and music came from john carpenter Uh, He previously directed Dark Star, Assault on Precinct 13, The First Halloween. We've seen his work last season for The Fog, and earlier this season for directing Escape from New York. Next season, he directs The Thing, and later Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, They Live, In the Mouth of Madness. Lots of great stuff. Writer Deborah Hill previously wrote Halloween and The Fog and Escape from L.A. She has character credits on all the Halloween sequels and The Fog remake, and hopefully a character credit on Escape from... Oh, no, she wrote Escape from L.A., not Escape mm. from New York. But she kept, she created the character of Snake. No, she didn't, because she no. didn't write New York. She wrote L.A. Oh, oh. The other music credit goes to Alan Howarth, who is a regular Carpenter collaborator on titles like Escape from New York, Halloween 3, Christine, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, and They Live. Cinematographer here was Dean Kundi, who also lit the first Halloween. We've seen his work so far on The Fog, Galaxina, Without Warning, and Escape from New York. Next season, he's back for The Thing and Halloween Season 3. I guess he was also in line for Poltergeist, but he told them, like, sorry, Carpenter's got a thing coming up. And they're like, Mm. but Spielberg wants you to come and do that. And he's like, sorry. (laughs) Like, Carpenter got me started, and I promised them I would stick with them on this franchise. Carpenter's got the thing coming up. Yeah. What thing? No, the thing. The thing. You know, the thing. I told you about it. (laughs) (laughs) it you know the thing from space 
Later, Kundi lights Psycho 2, DC Cab, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Hook, Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park, The Flintstones, Casper, Apollo 13, and most recently, a couple episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. But I love the look of everything that he's done here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's famous for kind of like colorful and like well-lit scenes where you mm-hmm. can make out everything. It's not like super mood lighting, but uh, it's it's really fun. It's an adventurous atmosphere. The editor credit goes to Mark Goldblatt, who previously cut the first Piranha, and earlier on the show, Humanoids from the Deep, The Howling, and Enter the Ninja. Later, he cuts The Terminator, Second Blood, Commando, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Predator 2, Terminator 2, Last Boy Scout, The Good Super Mario Brothers, True Lies, Showgirls, Starship Troopers, Armageddon, Bad Boys 2, and Exorcist the Beginning. Oh, and also uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Chappie, and most recently, Eli Roth's Death Wish. The other credited editor is Skip Schoolnick, who previously cut Avalanche, Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype, and next season he cuts Megaforce, and his final IMDb credit is for 32 episodes of Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. No. Complete fabrication. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. Not this time. Not true. (laughs) Not this time. (laughs) That's such a classic one. It's false. No way. Not this time. We created it. Not this time. No. Not this time. It's totally made up. Pure fiction. Jamie Lee Curtis played Laurie Strode. Her parents were Janet Lee and Tony Curtis. She made her feature film debut with the first Halloween. We've seen her so far in The Fog, Prom Night, and Terror Train, and she voiced a computer in Escape from New York. She was almost in, uh, do you remember what she was almost in? But her mom was like, no, she can't be in this. Actually, I think that's happened on a couple. But this one had Janet Lee in it that we've reviewed. Was it Endless Love? No. No. I'll give you a clue. It's related to Easter, sort of. Night of the Lepus. Uh, Easter. Bunnies. I was like going through all the Jesus movies in my head. Uh, and all I, of them? Well, we haven't covered a single Jesus movie. Well, well, I guess we did one. Well, and I, I was thinking of like, oh, wait, what was that? What was that? That movie made for $7 by the crazy church? No, no. It was, uh, what was the Frank Sinatra uh, first deadly sin yeah i was like i was thinking of like <laughs> si- like sins like Jesus, okay. yeah. jamie lee curtis is back this season for road games and later a fish called wanda true lies more recently she was awarded her first oscar for her role in everything everywhere all at once and she has also recently reprised the laurie strode role in david gordon green's halloween sequel trilogy donald pleasance played sam loomis this is his third time playing a loomis after the first Halloween, and a 1972 film entitled Innocent Bystanders. He was also Blofeld in You Only Live Twice and The Forger in The Great Escape. After the detour of the third film, he returned for every sequel from four to his death after the sixth film. I love that scene with The Forger, though, where he puts something small on the ground by the door before they come to test him. Yeah. That he can be like, look, I see that thing. Must have good eyes, right? Charles Cyphers played Lee Brackett. He previously appeared as Starker in Assault on Precinct 13 and Dan O'Bannon in The Fog for Carpenter, and later he's Charlie Donovan in Major League. He also returns as the character for David Gordon Green's trilogy. But yeah, Dan O'Bannon is another example. So this guy's actually been named after two screenwriters by Mm -hmm. John Carpenter. Jeffrey Kramer played Graham. He was Hendrix in Jaws and Jaws 2 and The Motorist in Clue. He's also a producer on a lot of 90s television like Chicago Hope, The Practice, and Ally McBeal. Lance Guest played Jimmy. He's Alex Rogan and Alex Rogan's beta unit in The Last Starfighter. He also takes over the role of Michael Brody in Jaws 4. Pamela Susan Shute played Karen. 
She has mostly TV work outside of this and Empire of the Ants in 1977. Hunter Von Leer played Gary Hunt. We last saw him as Lieutenant Bob in History of the World Part 1. Dick Warlock is The Shape slash Patrolman number 3. He was a stuntman in nearly every Kurt Russell movie so far. We've also seen him in The Nude Bomb, and he's back next season as a Norwegian in Carpenter's The Thing and an assassin in Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Tawny Moyer played Jill. She's back next week as a warrior housewife in Looker. Cliff Emick played Mr. Garrett. We saw him most recently as an obese fight promoter in All the Marbles. Nancy Stevens played Marion Chambers. She was also a stewardess in Escape from New York earlier this season. I assume that's on Air Force One, right? That's the only plane that we see in the movie, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it must be. And that's or, Donald Pleasance again as but, the but president, right? But And she's not the one who takes over the plane, right? No, that, that's like the co-pilots all like switch allegiance in the middle mm. of the flight. No, I don't know, actually. Maybe she is one of the ones that goes crazy and takes it over. I, I forget. Alan Halfrecht played announcer. He was Chuck Strahl in 9 to 5. Coach Dunbar in Footloose, and Dr. Marcus in Coma. Lucille Benson played Mrs. Elrod. She was Gas Mama in 1941, and Rose Metcalf in Amy earlier this season. This was her last feature film. God, I remember her in 1941. <laughs> yeah. Dana Carvey played an assistant here. We yeah. only see him for like a second. There's a there's a woman producer of a news segment in the front yard, and she's like, go and get statements from all these kids. Make sure that you have their parents' permission to use the statements, but if you can't find the parents, get statements from the kids anyway. Um, and then he just like nods and leaves. Mm -hmm. I don't think he even says anything. But this was his first Michael Myers film. Uh, he obviously shows up on SNL and in Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2 with a different Michael Myers and Clean Slate and Master of Disguise. <laughs> I think that rounds out his filmography. <laughs> he's not in a lot of movies. He's, he's not. Uh, I was going through the list and I was like, I mean, I actually really like Clean Slate. Yeah, Clean Slate's pretty good. It just seems like he should have been in more. Billy Warlock was Craig. He's the son of Dick Warlock. That's one of the kids that's uh, telling on his friend for drinking. Ty Mitchell played young Gary. He was Andy Wayne, the son of Adrian Barbo's Stevie Wayne in The Fog. Nancy Keys, a.k.a. Nancy Loomis, played Annie. She was actually married at the time to Stephen A. Loomis, hence her short-lived acting name. She is reprising the role of Annie from parts of the first film and returns next season as a new character, Linda Chalice, in Halloween 3. She also worked with Carpenter on Assault on Precinct 13 and The Fog. Roger Hampton played Patrolman 2. He was Jake in Critters. We saw him last season as Homer in our Minnesota review of The Return. He's also Yale in MacGyver episode Flame's End, and later a water and power man in Mac and Me. Tony Moran played Michael Myers' age 23 archival footage. His sister Erin Moran, Joni of Joni Loves Chachi, was Aluma in Galaxy of Terror. Kyle Richards played Lindsay in archival footage. We just saw her in Watcher in the Woods, and her sister was in the Witch Mountain movies. They are both the aunts of Paris Hilton, and she has returned to the franchise to play the adult version of the same character in the David Gordon Green trilogy. Brian Andrews played Tommy in archival footage. He also played Matthew Meacham in The Great Santini. Kim Gottlieb played photographer at Hospital. She's worked in the camera department on many Carpenter projects, including The First Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, and Christine. Anne-Marie Martin played Darcy Esmont. That's the girl who needed a ride home that right. was five minutes away. She's barely in it. We've seen her so far as a Wendy in Prom Night, again with Jamie Lee Curtis, and in Savage Harvest, both both Wendy characters. And then most recently as Jessica Ford in The Boogans. She also has a writing credit on Twister on account of being married to co-writer Michael Crichton. She was also Dory DeRoe on Sledgehammer and Clea Lake in the 1978 Doctor Strange miniseries. Lance Warlock played the kid carrying a radio. He's the son of Dick Warlock and the younger brother of Billy. 
His most recent credits are for composing on a bunch of indie titles. So hmm. he does music. I feel like I'm disappointed to find out that Dick Warlock changed his name to Dick Warlock. What was it originally? Dick Wizard? <laughs> <laughs> Dick Lemming. Lemming? <laughs> Richard Lemming, but Dick. What no, kind of a is. name for a stuntman is Dick I th- Lemming? I think that that is, in fact, why that's, he that's changed better. Him. Yeah, That's better because it's like, I will walk off a cliff. Like, d- d- I will do literally yep. anything you tell me to do, including die. <laughs> Dick Lemming. <laughs> that makes, it reminds me of Dick Lemon. Yeah, it's not a lemon party without old Dick. <laughs> Uh, I think that's everything for Halloween 2. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord. You can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. I would also like to dedicate this episode to a listener and Twitter friend, Sidney Tovar, whose sudden passing I was only recently made aware of. I don't know if they have podcasts in heaven, but if they do, they will obviously have ours, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Looker, which IMDb describes like so. Three of four models who had plastic surgery done by Larry after a computed list, after a computed list, are dead. Neither the cops nor Larry believe their suicides. Larry investigates and stays with the fourth model, Who's behind the lists and murders? <laughs> we leave you now with a trailer for Looker. I want it. You probably think I'm beautiful, Dr. Roberts, but I'm not. I want it. My nose is 0.2 millimeters too narrow, and my cheekbones are 0.4 millimeters too high. I want it too. I do television commercials. They want a certain look. I did surgery on several girls a few months back, commercial actresses. And there have been some suicides. You don't know what's going on. This is more than commercials. They're killing all the girls that are perfect. DMI measured some girls for possible surgery. We were conducting an experiment. Hi, I'm Cindy. I'm the perfect female type, 18 to 25. Here you see a typical computer model being made. Hi, I'm Cindy. I'm the perfect female type, 18 to 25. What have you got me mixed up in? I have a right to know if somebody's trying to kill me. 